0: Section 61 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox. Riding in the street Cars A chill's a man ye taking notes, and faith he'll print it burns. The greater portion of this day I have spent riding in the street cars. I find it is quite a pleasant way of passing a few leisure hours. Neither is it an extravagant way of entertaining oneself. On figuring up, I find, by choosing the longest routes, it costs just seven and one quarter cents per hour. This is certainly reasonable. There is always something amusing to look at as you pass along. There stands the nervous old lady upon the street corner. She wishes to ride and endeavors to signal the driver and prepare for embarking at one and the same time. She proves the truth of the old saying that a person may get too many irons in the fire. In her eagerness to attract the attention of the driver or conductor, she is not aware that in lifting her skirts, she has elevated one or two thicknesses more than she intended or than is at all necessary. Poor old lady. She does indeed present a picture that might well attract the artistic eye. We in more becoming order turn our eyes from the singular spectacle and study the advertisements ranged around for our special benefit. She emits a short quick cry, half woo and half squeal and signals repeatedly to do with the inevitable umbrella is brought into requisition and flourished around her head as though she was warding off a detachment of aggressive wasp. She gives the conductor a look of surprise, if not anger, because he completes the curve before stopping to take her up. The old lady means business and has never got it through her head that conductors have rights which she is bound to respect. She no doubt believes that on all occasions and at all times, he ought to seize the strap and stop the car as suddenly as he would a clock by grasping the pendulum. Then there are the fashions which we can study without having to pay exorbitant prices for seats in the theaters. It is even better than to go to a fashionable church. Besides the advantages which a ride in the streetcar offers us in the way of studying the fashions, we often see strange sights well calculated to awaken humor. There, for instance, we encounter the sleepy passenger who, in charity, let us hope, is drowsy through loss of rest rather than loss of reason. Let us hope he is some physician who has been Attending to his patients, or a minister of the gospel who has spent the night by the bedside of some sinking penitent, or a supervisor who, while his constituents have been snugly dreaming away their troubles, has been legislating and growing hoarse declaiming for the public good. Doctor or supervisor, as the case may be, it is evident he is sleepy and cares not who knows it. Otherwise, he would pick up his hat, which has fallen off, before it has twice been stepped on by passengers staggering through the car while it is in motion. With a persistency truly amusing, he tips in the direction of some old lady who apparently hates men, especially when excessive drowsiness makes them familiar. He, however, is oblivious of her likes or dislikes, even of her presence, it would seem, He bobs towards her until his disheveled forelock actually tickles her under the ear, which sensation causes her to start suddenly and look around so quickly that a person must think the movement gave her a crick in the neck and her subsequent rubbing of the cords below the ear would seem to bear out the supposition as correct. Then, as we ride along, we can see the bold policeman standing by the corner of a building. He is earnestly looking down a narrow lane, taking notes, perhaps, but more likely watching the progress of a fight and wisely waiting until all the pistols are discharged before venturing to arrest any of the belligerent parties. He looks as though it would not take much longer reflection or many more shots to make him forego that duty in toto and turn around to arrest the poor Chinese vegetable peddler who, with his basket-pole upon his shoulder, is trotting along upon the sidewalk and thereby violating one of the city's ordinances. While hustling the prisoner to the station-house, he would escape performing more unpleasant and risky business. He is in the right of it, too, when a person comes right down to reason the case. The policeman may have a family dependent on him for support, or it may be upon the very stroke of the hour when his duty for the day will cease and he can saunter to his home, leaving his successor to rush in and stay the slaughter. It may be argued that the policeman is paid to take prisoners and consequently to take chances. This is true, but he is not paid to commit suicide. For a broad man like him to move down a narrow lane up which the bullets are whistling can hardly be considered anything short of it. Oh, he is a cunning fellow, I tell you, and revolves the matter carefully in his mind before taking action. He has been too long a resident of the city and too long a member of the Star Brigade to know that the city can better afford to lose two or three indifferent citizens than it can one able and efficient policeman. We turn from the policeman to contemplate the blooming blonde who comes bouncing in with her poodle dog in her arms. After she is seated, she amuses some of the passengers and displeases more by the affectionate name she lavishes upon the little watery-eyed pet in her lap. Some of the passengers would doubtless like to be the dog, and others would like to be a distemper that they might legally kill the curb. She temporarily ends her caresses by repeatedly kissing its cold peaked nose to the infinite disgust of the majority of the passengers who, rather than witness a repetition of the act, look out of the windows and become suddenly interested in the construction buildings or fences along the route. And then there is the impatient passenger who is either limited in time or sense, probably in both. He foolishly attempts to leave the car while it's in motion in order to save a few moments. Immediately afterwards, he wishes he hadn't and sits down with considerable feeling to think over his rashness. There was a time, no doubt, when he could jump on and off a car like a newsboy, but that time has evidently gone by. When we consider the roughness of his seat and the unexpected manner in which he settled on it, we have to acknowledge that he sits with considerable grace. However, as he has lost time instead of gaining it by the action, he will perhaps try to catch a better hold of the old rascal's forelock the next time he is running past him End of Section sixty one read by Julie Taylor january fifteenth, twenty twenty two